From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for tuning in and making us part of your day. Well, coming up on this Thursday edition, the Republican effort to unite around the next speaker appears to have stalled. We need to fill the chair with the speaker. Every day that goes by, it gets more dangerous. So I see a lot of threats out there. But one of the biggest threats I see is in that room because we can't unify as a conference and put a speaker in the chair to govern. That was Texas Congressman Michael McCall, chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. That came following a closed-door members-only meeting earlier today. We're going to talk with Texas Congressman Nathaniel Moran, a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, in just a moment. Also, a former Hamas leader is calling for tomorrow, Friday, October the 13th, to be a day of jihad. Now, this is a, there's a call for protest in, in, uh, around the, the world, but protest and violence... Uh, is already taking place uh, in places, uh, in parts of the United States. So what does that mean? What what should we be prepared for tomorrow? We're going to find out. Washington Stand reporter Sam McCarthy will be here with more. Anti-Semitic protests are already, as I mentioned, breaking out on college campuses in the U.S. Now, while this should be, shouldn't be surprising, surprising, given the fact that anti-Semitism is taking place in Congress, members of Congress actually expressing uh, hatred toward the Jewish people and the Jewish nation. But nonetheless, this should be disturbing to all Americans. We're going to talk with Rabbi Minkin, Managing Director of the Coalition for Jewish Values. And as Secretary of State Antony Blinken was in Israel today to show support for the Jewish nation, questions still surface about where does the administration stand on the $6 billion they released to Iran, who is a major funder of Hamas? None of the funds that have now gone to Qatar have actually been spent or accessed in any way. We have strict oversight of the funds, and we retain the right to freeze them. But does Iran know they're coming? That was uh, Secretary Blinken at a press conference uh, after meeting with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu earlier today. We're going to get the latest on the effort to hold Iran accountable from Nebraska Senator Pete Ricketts. And speaking of funding for terrorists. We do not have any quarrel with the uh, uh, Palestinian people, which is why we think it's important to continue to provide a humanitarian aid that directly benefits them not the terrorists who are trying, who, the terrorists who ultimately are going to be responsible for the loss of many Palestinian lives. That was State Department spokesman Matthew Miller. We're going to explore further the millions of dollars the Biden administration has given to the Palestinian Authority that's been used to indoctrinate Palestinian children to hate and even kill Jews. Oklahoma Senator James Langford joins me for that conversation. We're also going to get an update from Senator Langford on his efforts to force the FBI to cut ties with the anti-Christian Southern Poverty Law Center. And I'll also have an update for you on the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission's proposed rule for the workplace that would police pronouns in businesses across America and force employers to open up bathrooms and locker rooms to individuals based upon how they're masquerading. Oh, and a programming note. 
Yesterday, some of our radio stations did not get the live program. The vendor that distributes our program had a major outage in a previous episode of Washington Watch aired. We apologize. It was beyond our control. Yesterday's program was very informative and still relevant. I would encourage you to download the Stand Firm app. You can watch the program live on the app no matter where you are, and you can also watch previous shows as well. You can find the Stand Firm app in the App Store. Our word for today comes from Acts chapter 26, as Paul stands before King Agrippa, a prisoner, telling his testimony. I heard a voice speaking to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. He went on to say, Therefore, King Agrippa, I have not been, dis- I have not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. You see, Paul stood with joy and purpose, even as a prisoner. The reason? He stood for the purpose of God. To find out more, on our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. Well, today is day 10 of the paralyzed Congress, unable to operate without a Speaker of the House. House Majority Leader Steve Scalise has emerged as the Republicans' top choice for the position, but he has not yet secured the 217 votes necessary to become Speaker. Now, with the backdrop of the war in Israel, government funding set to expire on November the 17th, Will Republicans unify around a candidate soon? Joining me for an update is Congressman Nathaniel Moran. He serves on three House committees, including the House Committee on Foreign Affairs. He represents the 1st Congressional District of Texas. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Good to see you. Tony, thanks for having me today. It's a pleasure to be with you, as always. So I I know that it was a closed-door, members-only meeting, but give us an update on where things stand in the effort to select a speaker? Yeah, today we had another uh, two and a half or three hours worth of conversation within the family conference, trying to work through this process to get to 217 for our speaker designating our nominee, Steve Scalise. But quite frankly, we did not make much progress in that meeting in my estimation. There's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of built up emotion. There's a lot of division within our conference. And I'm sorry to see that because As we've already seen in just the first few minutes of the program, there are some significant world events, world events like we haven't seen in a long time that need to be dealt with. Congress has to be acting. We're never going to find a perfect speaker. If we're looking for a perfect speaker, uh, we're going to have to we're going to have to look outside of the walls of the halls of Congress for sure. But we have to get back to work for the American people and for these bigger ideals. So let me ask you, Congressman Moran, is is that view shared by your colleagues? I mean, I, I think the gravity of this moment and what is happening around the world is much different than what it was last week when the when the chair was vacated. So are these external pressures moving members to a place of decision? Unfortunately, it's not. It's in fact, in, in some cases, it's moving them further into the corner to be positioned and to say, Yes. I. Some of them say, look, I agree there's bigger issues we need to deal with, but their bigger issues are institutional issues, which, frankly, in my opinion, go beyond whoever sits in the speaker's chair, whether or not it's Kevin McCarthy or Steve Scalise or Jim Jordan or whoever the nominee is. That person cannot solve 
the illnesses that are here in Washington, D.C., those illnesses are systemic. And they're as a result of all 435 of us in Congress on the House side. No question about it. So it feels like to me, and one of my colleagues used this analogy today, that we are, we're the fire department and there's a five alarm fire going on around us. In fact, there's several going on around us in this world. And we are arguing about the color of the fire truck. We're missing the greater point here that we need to be focused on. One final question on this subject, uh, Congressman Moran. What's the plan going forward? Are we going to stay in town until this is resolved, or are members going to go home for the weekend? It looks like to me that we're going to stay here for the weekend, but that hasn't been finally told. I, I specifically asked that question, should we plan to stay? I, frankly, I think we need to stay until we get this resolved. There should be no break for Congress until we get this important matter resolved, but uh, that's up to uh, Patrick McHenry and Steve Scalise at this point. And I think they're going to be meeting with folks this afternoon to try to work out differences with those folks that are still holding out. Then we're probably going to come back together as a conference tonight, meet as a conference tomorrow again until we can resolve and hopefully go to the floor. But at some point, again, whether or not it's Steve Scalise or Jim Jordan, both of whom are great men, both of whom I said going into Congress, I would uh, conference, I would support whoever came out of conference as a nominee, we need to get behind a leader, get somebody in that chair so that the legislative branch can function because we may have appropriations for Israel that we need to take care of. We certainly have appropriations bills that we need to get passed. We may have uh, authorizations for use of military force that are necessary coming up. We've got so many other important things, border security being at the top of that, that we can't take care of if we are paralyzed in, in Congress. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. You mentioned border security. I want to switch topics here. You serve on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, and unfortunately, our southern border has become an entryway for uh, foreign um, individuals, some of whom want to do harm to this country. Uh, we've had, we have now a former Hamas uh, leader and Hamas itself calling for a national day or a day of jihad, global day of jihad. What do we know about this, and what do we know in terms of the threat to the U.S.? Well, what we do know is more than a million individuals crossed over our border that we don't know who they are or where they went. They're gotaways during the Biden administration. The Biden administration can provide us no assurances that we un, uh, can assess the security risk or protect against the security risk of those individuals. I was down in Eagle Pass, Texas, just a couple weeks ago, looking again at the situation firsthand. And just in the Del Rio sector along the border, what we discovered was in this last 12 months, there were individuals from 98 different countries that crossed over that border. 27 of those countries have ties to terrorism. Now, that should be concerning to every American because when they filter in, as we saw there in the, on the border town of, Del, of uh, Eagle Pass, they get processed within two or three days, then they're to an NGO, and then they're to wherever their, quote, final destination is, which could be anywhere in the United States. We will never know where those individuals go or what they're doing when they get there because that border is so porous. And as a result of that, our, our nation is so much at risk now because we won't secure that southern border. I know that yesterday's briefing was a classified briefing, so I'm trying to be careful in how I ask this question, but because I know you're limited on what you can say. But given what you know, 
and we have this call for global jihad. We've already seen protests in cities across the United States. We've seen violence on college campuses. Are you concerned that tomorrow we could see uh, some type of uh, activity, violent activity, attacks here in the United States? Well, I, I would not say uh, that folks need to be living in fear. They don't. Uh, I would say they need to be as vigilant as they, they should be in every other day. We live in perilous times, Tony. Uh, we live in times where uh, groups like Hamas have said that they want to see the total obliteration. That's what their charter says, the obliteration of the Jewish nation. And they have declared a jihad against uh, effectively the entire Western world. But that hatred from groups like like Hamas and Hezbollah and others around the world is nothing new. Uh, we've seen this evil before. We'll see it again. Folks need to be vigilant. They need to report something, say something if they see something, but they don't need to live in fear. We know that at the at the ultimate conclusion of this, we are going to overcome. As Christians, we know that that's the case, that there's going to be victory in this world. But it doesn't mean we need to part from our wisdom and prudence in our actions. Just just. Be careful in every, everybody's daily lives and observe and report, but certainly uh, certainly don't, uh, don't uh, create a, a situation where hate breeds hate and, and the response is hate. We don't need to see that either. Yep, I uh, agree with that as well. Congressman Moran, thanks so much for taking time to join us. Uh, always good to see you. Thank you, Tony. It's a pleasure to be here. Right. Uh, just to underscore that point, I, I do think we need to be vigilant, and we need to, to call upon our government to protect us. That's a fundamental duty of our government. Of course, our government has been uh, absent without uh, leave in the border, um, leaving it wide open. So they're making this nation, putting this nation at risk. But as he said, we, we don't need to live in fear, vigilant, but not fear. Hey, we're going to talk more about Iran and holding them accountable for all this next. Don't go away. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, 
and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. Right, earlier today, U.S. Treasury officials reportedly announced that they were refreezing the $6 billion cash transfer to Iran previously arranged as part of a Biden administration prisoner swap deal. Now, earlier this week, 20 Republican senators demanded President Biden end this cash transfer. But the man that later picked up some support from Senate Democrats um, so what does this mean, that the funds are refrozen? I mean, for how long? Joining me now to discuss this and more is Senator Pete Ricketts of Nebraska. He serves on three committees, including the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Senator Ricketts, welcome back to Washington Watch. My pleasure. Thanks very much for having me on. So, so Senator, we're, we're told now that, that these funds have been refrozen. What does that mean? What do we know? Well, we don't know a lot, frankly. We know that the Biden administration was trying to return the $6 billion to Iran, that it was in South Korea, then it moved to Qatar, and none of the funds have been accessed so far by Iran. What the, the process up until this point would have been is that they would have had to make purchases, supposed to be only humanitarian goods, and that then they would submit basically a receipt to us and we would release the funds. What I have and my Senate colleagues have asked for is that the president refreeze those and not provide them to Iran. They're the largest state sponsor of terrorism. They sponsor Hamas. The Wall Street Journal said that they were complicit in planning this horrible, brutal attack. And frankly, money can be used in a variety of different ways. Uh, Ayatollah Khomeini said that he's going to use it any way he wants. So even if they do spend money, say, on food and get this money back from uh Cutter, they can spend it on anything they want. They can right. go spend it on guns. You, you know, if you free up money that you're well, going to spend on food and you can now spend it on terrorism, that could happen. So this is it was just a bad idea to begin with. It was cut in secret with the Biden administration. We were not made aware of it on the Foreign Relations Committee. And I'm glad that they're slowing things down here. But we got to make sure that there's a permanent freeze on this. And in fact, that we have some legislation we're working on in the Senate to be able to make that happen. I think that last point is very important, that it be permanent, because as you pointed out, they must think the American people are pretty dumb to say that, well, they can only use it for food and humanitarian purposes. But I mean, let's say you've got a, a household budget of, uh, you know, $200. 
and you were going to buy $50 worth of uh, meat. But instead, you somebody else gives you $50, and you go ahead and use that $50 to buy ammo. I mean, it, it, you, can, you can do whatever you want with the money. You can move the money around. But if they yeah. know this money is coming, and, and we've heard repeatedly from the administration that, well, they haven't accessed it yet. We know that. We're tracking it. But if they know that $6 billion is sitting in the bank, they can move on what they have today, move with what they have today, knowing that money's coming tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely right. That's why it makes no sense to, first of all, it made no sense to do this deal in the first place. And certainly now that Iran was cutting this deal with the Biden administration, perhaps while they were planning this attack on Israel, just shows the contempt that they have for the Biden administration and why, again, we should stop these funds from getting to Iran. They're just going to use it to, again, sponsor terrorism. And we can't allow that to happen. Now, you serve on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, which is asking questions of the State Department uh, regarding the Biden administration's former special envoy to Iran and whether or not he was compromised and actually that we had a spy ring for Iran operating within the State Department. Tell us about that. Yeah, so what has happened is the Iranians created a fake think tank and then had Iranian, they recruited Americans to basically staff it and then push the Iranian point of view on our State Department. In fact, some of these people actually were uh, very close advisors of the State Department. And again, it just demonstrates the incompetence of the Biden administration that they could allow this to happen in the first place. You would think that this would raise red flags with people about how this whole process was going on. But it's just a, you know, a string of failures that the Biden administration has had on a number of different fronts and why, they, in my opinion, they really don't have any credibility. And frankly, it's actions like this, is, which is why we see dictators like Putin being emboldened. Uh, I think certainly this has also probably contributed to why Hamas picked this time to attack Israel. They view us as being weak. Anytime the United States shows weakness, we just encourage these bad actors, you know, these dictators, these terrorist groups to start attacking us. The world is safer when we act strongly. You know, we need to, for example, support Israel and let them know we stand with Israel. That's the best way to keep the peace through strength. I'm very curious about this because some of these individuals that were in this uh, ring of uh, supporters of Iran that were within the State Department, the Biden administration, even goes back to the Obama administration, they had uh, security clearances. And I've I've been through that process when I was on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. It's pretty difficult, a lengthy process to get a security clearance unless someone's cutting the corners. I'm not sure how some of these individuals were able to obtain security clearances. Is that something that your committee has looked at? We haven't looked at that issue in particular because that this has all come up in a, fairly recently. Well, that's absolutely the kind of investigation we've got to have and some of the answers we've got to have from the State Department with regard to how could this possibly have happened. If you're doing clearances, you think that this would be clear about we're not going to allow people who have connections to Iran who are going to be compromised to get that security clearance. Uh, in fact, I think one of the individuals actually did get denied a security uh, clearance on this. But, you know, it just goes back to what is going on in the State Department. And, of course, this goes back, it's surrounding the nuclear deal. So this should, any further or any future conversations about the Iran nuclear deal, I mean, it should be dead on arrival, given the fact of what we're seeing unfold right now in Israel, plus when we look at the fact that we had a, an Iran, a Iranian spy ring within the State Department. 
Yeah, absolutely. The the Iranian nuclear deal was a bad deal. Uh, it never should have been done in the first place. As you know, this was started under the Obama administration. Uh, we should uh, really end this deal permanently and look at sanctions on how we can prevent Iran from having a nuclear weapon and continue to put pressure on them. You know, for example, they're in violation of this right now, and the State Department, to my knowledge, hasn't really done anything about that. So. Uh, we're in fact, we're, that's one of the things my Senate colleagues and I are asking questions about is if, with Iran in apparent violation of the agreement, what is the State Department doing? And you know, this is where we're just not right. getting the answers before. And good point, because uh, apparently uh, these individuals who were friendly with Iran gave them a pass on a number of these things, free unfreezing other funds that they sent to Iran. So. Uh, I, I hope you guys are able to dig into this and, and reveal what really took place. Yep, that's uh, one of the things that uh, Marco Rubio is leading us on this. Uh, but we've got a number of senators who are very interested in getting answers out of the State Department. All right. Senator Ricketts, thanks so much for taking time to join us today. Always great to see you. My pleasure. Thanks very much for having me on. All right. All right. When we come back, Senator Langford of Oklahoma joins us to talk about another way the Biden administration is funding them. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. This is Washington Watch, the website TonyPerkins.com. Well, as the world watched Saturday's brutal terrorist attacks on Israel in war, a number of prominent U.S. organizations on the left put out statements supporting the terrorist. The list of organizations pledging such support included the Democratic Socialist of America, which boasts six members of Congress among their ranks, and the Chicago chapter of Black Lives Matter. 
Now, you won't be surprised to know that these institutions of the left have not been added to the so-called hate list of the Southern Poverty Law Center, which fundraises by publishing the list of uh, 1,200 so-called hate groups, including mainstream parents' groups, Moms for Liberty, and even the Family Research Council. So why do law enforcement agencies, including the FBI, continue to use the discredited Southern Poverty Law Center as a source for investigative reports and activities? Joining me now to discuss this, Oklahoma Senator James Lankford, who recently sent a letter to the FBI demanding the Bureau drop the SPLC as a source. He serves on four Senate committees, including the Senate Intelligence Committee and the Senate Homeland Security Committee and Government Affairs. Uh, Senator Langford, welcome back to Washington Watch. Tony, glad to be on with you again. So you joined Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley to make this demand. Uh, tell us why and tell us what's come of it. Yeah, the is to be able to use the Southern Poverty Law Center to be able to be one of their standards for what is a hate group when we know the Southern Poverty Law Center itself is a very biased left-wing group that has poured out all kinds of venom on any faith-based entity, including the Family Research Council. Uh, you know that full well based on what the Southern Poverty Law Center did to be able to identify FRC as a hate group, and then that led to a crazed person actually walking in with a gun and trying to shoot people in the building, including carrying out, actually hitting someone. And uh, so you've experienced this firsthand to be able to know uh, what the real consequence of that is. FBI should identify hate groups on their own and not outsource for the American people to a left-wing group what is a hate group and what is not a hate group and uh, what is a threat and what is not a threat. That is a decision of the American people and should not be outsourced. So Chuck Grassley and I are just calling them out on that. I've actually spoken to Christopher Ray directly on this uh, to be able to also identify why is he doing this, how is he getting away from it. They continue to say, hey, they're, they're doing it less and less. I want them to not use them at all as a source. Well, you would think that they would be reluctant to use them after they had been embarrassed when the FBI had a memo targeting traditional Catholics as potential terrorists, and they were relying on SPLC data. Yeah. Initially, they came back and said they were not relying on the Southern Poverty Law Center, but then they had to come back later and say, well, kind of, yes, we will actually. So, yes, that, that's an issue I actually talked to Chris Ray about directly in two different committee hearings. Uh, he, he came to two different places and got a chance to be able to talk to him twice uh, on this issue to try to zero in on it and then have done follow-ups. And on that particular issue on traditional Catholics, they said, well, this was one office at one place in Virginia. That was it. And then we later learned actually several offices worked together across the nation. that this was a much bigger issue at the FBI. Again, trusted to the Father Law Center for their information rather than thinking for themselves and actually doing their own research. So we came back to them, called them out on that, and said, no, that that's, that again, you don't outsource your decision-making to a left-wing group on this. Yeah. Uh, when you're the FBI, you're a law enforcement agency, and you should have the capability to do your own research. You, you would think, you would think, given the vast resources available to the FBI. Of course, they might be too busy tracking Trump supporters. Who knows? Let me, let me switch topics here for a moment, because you and I actually went to Israel a number of years ago when you were in the House. And, and we were briefed on funding coming from the United States to the Palestinian Authority through different means. Uh, but it was a, a good chunk of change goes into education of Palestinian children. 
And we looked at the material there. Now, the Trump administration put a halt to that, but the Biden administration has uh, turned the spigot back on and, and millions of dollars have uh, continued to flow into the Palestinian Authority, the West Bank, and to uh, uh, Gaza. Are you surprised, given the, the material that's in there, that we have the type of brutality that took place when these terrorists crossed the border into Israel? No, we're talking generations of children have been taught to hate Jews. And, and again, this, just as a clarification on this, that people need to know, this is not about Hamas coming to attack Israel as Israelis. This is Hamas coming to attack Israelis because they're Jewish. I mean, the focus that they have is, and from their own charter, their commitment is to be able to kill all Jews anywhere that they are in the world. Uh, so th this is not just a Gaza against Israel. This is a deep hatred that's grown up through generations. And that is happening in their indoctrination. That is happening with parents teaching children and the classroom being taught to children to be able to hate Jews. Uh, so th this is just horrific what is occurring. So I would tell you, and when you and I were in Israel together going through some of the different materials and things that were there, the Israelis have no issue with the U.N. providing humanitarian support uh, to those in Gaza and in the West Bank or providing security assistance to be able to make sure they can have good policing. But when you get into the educational side, uh, all they're asking for is not unreasonable, is to make sure that when children are educated, they're actually educated, read, write, arithmetic, basics. They're not being educated to hate Jews. Right. And uh, that is not an unreasonable request. No, not at all. And we should not be funding that. Senator Langford, great to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us today. You bet. Glad to do it, Tony. All right, Senator James Langford of Oklahoma. I mean, they, they receive $1 billion annually, and 58% of that goes to education. And, and, and you can see this material. It, it is unbelievable. We'll probably talk more about that uh, another day, but it is something that needs to stop. All right, when we come back, we're going to be talking about this day of jihad. That's next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. 
Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Right, earlier in the week, we were talking about the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. They've just released a new proposed rule. It's a regulation that would undermine sex-segregated segreg- spaces and stifle free speech in the workplace on topics such as abortion and gender identity ideology by expanding the definition of what constitutes workplace harassment. Basically, all right, let me just summarize, um, you could get in trouble for using the wrong pronoun, and employers would be required to open up bathroom facilities, locker rooms, showers, whatever you might have, to individuals based upon their declared sexual identity or gender identity. This, and if you have a position op that opposes abortion. Uh, that could be a problem in the workplace as well. So this is this is another way for the Biden administration to weaponize government against Christians in the workplace. So there is a, a window of opportunity to respond to this. We talked about it, like I said, earlier in the week, or maybe it was last week. There's a comment period. And when you put in comments, they have to read through those comments. And if we inundate them with comments, oftentimes it uh, slows down the process and even will prohibit them from putting the rule in place. That was uh, actually it delayed the the ruling uh, for Title IX as they were wanting to change that. That has been put on hold just because of the volume of comments that have come in uh, from Americans. So we, we want to help you make a comment, and it's real easy to do. All you need to do is text SPEECH to 67742, the, the word SPEECH, as in free speech, speech to 67742. You'll get a link. You follow that link up and you actually file a comment and uh, and make the EEOC know where you stand on whether or not you want them to force you to use an incorrect pronoun. We don't need the pronoun police, you know, going through our businesses. Anyway, text the word speech to 67742. 
All right. As I've discussed on the program throughout this week, the horrific attacks on Israel last weekend both galvanized the Israeli people and led to a worldwide outpouring of support for Israel. But but it's also exposed the anti-Semitic hatred of many on the left, even here in the United States. Now, the left often claims that words are violence and protesters uh, marched in Washington, D.C. on Sunday chanting, settler, settler, you will learn. You know, by, by the millions, we've returned. Now, in, uh, in New York yesterday, an Israeli student was assaulted at Columbia University with Hamas militants calling for a worldwide day of jihad tomorrow. You know, can we expect more violence? And, and, and how can Christians show support for Israel as we pray and act for peace? With me now to discuss this is Sam McCarthy who is a news writer at the Washington Stand. Sam, thanks for joining us today. So amid the outpouring of support for Israel, many on the left have stated open support for terrorism and for the brutality that has been uh, perpetrated upon innocent civilians. I mean, what have you observed in this? Well, largely silence from the left. You've had a lot of protests that you can't necessarily attribute to the left, but to Muslim immigrants in Western nations. Lots of protests all across the globe. You've got some in like Sydney, Australia, London in England, uh, Dublin in Ireland last night. Uh, You've got a number, as you noted, across the U.S. as well. So you've got all these big protests. You've got largely silence from a lot of political figures on the left. For instance, uh, Representative Rashida Tlaib uh, simply has refused to take down the Palestinian flag that she has hanging outside of her office in Congress. You know, Islam has been a sort of pet cause of the left for years now. Islam incorporates a hatred of the West, which is one of the foundational tenets of leftism. And so especially when Islam is empowered, when Islam is promoted uh, through attacks like the Hamas attack and the idea of jihad, uh, you typically have silence from those on the left, either silence or support. That's typically what it's met with. You've got groups like, uh, sorry. I was just going to ask about tomorrow, this, this call for a global day of jihad. What do we know about that? Well, you have the former chief of Hamas, Khalid Mishal, who's now the head of Hamas's diaspora office based in Qatar. He called for a global day of jihad tomorrow, Friday, October 13th. He said that Muslims must, quote, head to the squares and streets of the Arab and Islamic world on Friday. He also said, quote, tribes of Jordan, sons of Jordan, brothers and sisters of Jordan, this is a moment of truth. He's called for Muslims across the globe whether in predominantly in the Middle East, but across the globe, including in Western nations like the U.S., to take to the streets, protest, and march in solidarity with uh, the Hamas attackers. In a video reportedly posted to YouTube that it was quickly deleted, Michal also called on Muslims to, quote, show anger and, quote, send a message of rage to Zionists and to America which is pretty concerning. And the uh, Middle East Media Research Institute has also reported that Hamas itself reiterated Michal's call for jihad. So, but jihad is a, is a term. It's a term that means a lot. So what, what does that actually mean? It's not just like, uh, you know, let's go out and, and uh, get the bullhorn and have a protest. That, that is a loaded term. 
Yeah, so jihad is an Arabic word. It means yearning or struggling. It's often used in reference to war or proselytization by means of violence or war. Under classic Islamic Sharia law, jihad is understood to mean war against non-believers, infidels, us, Christians, uh, Jews, anybody who's not a Muslim. Modernist Islamic scholars have tried to kind of reframe the term as referring primarily to defensive military action, but it's pretty clear from the way that Michal is using the term that he's using it in the older, the classic Sharia law sense of the term. So it's essentially warfare. Uh, Sam, you've uh, been writing about some of these things. How should Christians respond? Well, prayer is always the first response. You know, on uh, Saturday, in addition to the Hamas attack, we also celebrated the 452nd anniversary of the Battle of Lepanto, which is when the Muslim Ottoman Empire attempted to attack Europe. And you had a small naval fleet made up of Christians. They called themselves the Christian League. Uh, you had a small naval fleet defeated their their enemy, which vastly outnumbered them, the, the Muslim fleet. They defeated them. And they attributed that amazing victory to prayer. So really, prayer is the the first line of defense. As uh, as one of your guests noted earlier, vigilance is also key. Vigilance, be safe. You know, don't don't live in fear, but um, but certainly be vigilant, be safe, and again, above all, pray. All right, Sam McCarthy, thanks so much for joining us today. Great to see you, and keep up the good work you on the well. Washington thanks, stand. Thank you very much. And folks, you can read some of Sam's uh, articles. You can go to the Washington Stand and uh, find out more. Go to TonyPerkins.com, follow the links over. All right, I'm going to continue this conversation on the anti-Semitic demonstrations that have been taking place on college campuses. But, but, but this didn't just happen. We've been seeing a rise of anti-Semitism globally. We've been seeing it on college campuses in the United States for quite some time. Joining me now is Rabbi Minkin. He is the managing director of the Coalition for Jewish Values. Rabbi, welcome to the program. So good to see you again after several years. It is good to see you as well. You know, I one of the things I r- recall very vividly in my time on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, especially when I was chairing it, was this rise of anti-Semitism in, our, in the, the special repertoire from the United Nations making a comment that this is the the canary in the coal mine and everyone should be watching what is happening as we see this rise of anti-Semitism. Well, it's been going on for a long time and you've watched the campus get taken over. I remember as a college student, and, and I'm sure many of your viewers and listeners do as well, that there used to be protests for a whole series of serious human rights causes around the world. I'm talking about Darfur, Rwanda, Bosnia, et cetera, et cetera. For the last 15 years, as the state of civil and human rights has declined and the state of religious freedom around the world has declined, everything on campus has been Palestine, Palestine, and Palestine. And now it's out in the open that it is no longer, uh, there's no pretense about this. Uh, It was obvious. There's no political dispute, no oppression, no occupation that makes a person go out and rape a woman. There's no political position that makes him parade the body of that dead woman through the streets. There's certainly nothing political 
about carving off the head of a baby. And yet Hamas did all of those things. This wasn't a war. This was a massacre. And when you have groups in the United States, like Students for Justice in Palestine, calling that a victory for the resistance, they've taken their masks off. Uh, the problem is that the word Hitler is so overused that it's like a joke that the longer a conversation goes on on the Internet, the likelihood of mentioning Hitler is 100 percent. So it sounds like an exaggeration, but it's not. This is the Nazis. This is the Nazi Sturm up Teilung, the brown shirts in American universities. And in fact, there was an assault on an Israeli Jewish student today at Columbia during the day of resistance because he was putting up posters of the kidnap victims of Hamas. Imagine that. They were so pro-barbarism and so against basic human decency and human values that they wanted to tear down posters and were willing to break the finger of the guy putting them up because he was because they don't want American attention to pay attention to what's right. really going on. Rabbi, um, I've, I've been in Yad Vashem as one of the most heart-wrenching experiences that I've had to walk through that. And, and, and think back on why the world was silent when that was occurring. And, and I mean, I've read through, I mean, I'm a student of history. Uh, and so I'm, what I'm about to say, I am not in any form or fashion minimizing the Holocaust, not at all. These individuals and what they did, what we've heard that they did, as you just described, what they did to babies, what they did to innocent women, what they did to old people, this is beyond anything that is that a human being could do. This is demonic, and this is evil like we've never seen before. And to any in any form or fashion to coddle that here in the United States by, you know, some group should be totally, totally denounced by everyone. I think that's absolutely true. The Nazis tried to hide what they were doing. There are definitely certain elements here where Hamas, look, they, they believe that this is their religious ideology. Imagine that. That's their religion, to believe that carving off a baby's head is the right thing to do. It's, it's beyond anything imaginable. The, the Nazis regarded eliminating the Jews as something distasteful that they had to do. Hamas looks at it as something that they love to do. It's explicitly mm. genocidal at the outset. Yes. And I think that the most, there are two lessons to take away. One is that what starts with the Jews never ends with the Jews. Look at the places where the Christians are receiving the worst persecution around the world, and you find a country that is already Judenrein. It has no Jews, often because they've already been ethnically cleansed out, like Iraq. And that is why you know, they start with the Jews, and then they go with everybody else. So obviously, this has to stop here. That, but number that, two, that, I just so, want to say that is I'm absolutely sorry. true. That is absolutely true. And and the Nazism now is so clear. There's an absence of decency. You've seen this takeover on campus of, of by students who really are just victims of indoctrination. My goodness, open the Bible. How many indigenous names are there for the Holy Land? One of them is not Palestine. That's a Greco-Roman colonialist name for the Jewish homeland designed to dissociate the Jews from Judea. Well, guess what? It's never meant anything different. It's not different today. This has been a false narrative from the get-go. But the most important thing for people to realize is you must continue pressuring your legislators 
to keep up the pressure on Israel to finish the job. This cannot, yes. there can be no ceasefire. Yes. There can be no backing down. There can be no restraint. That is evil. That is, barbar I have a piece in The Federalist this morning about the evil of restraint. It's yes. not, it's a recipe for more civilians to die. Hamas must be eliminated to the point where the white flag is flying from the rubble of what remains of their office. And if I could, a second thing. Consider that the entire Students for Justice in, uh, in Palestine is now revealed as a barbaric, hateful, terror support organization in the United States, which it always was beginning to end. Your alma mater, dear viewer, dear listener, your alma mater may well have a chapter of Students for Justice in Palestine, which means that your alumni dues, whatever you're giving to the university, your donation is going to fund this anti-Semitic terror support until Students for Justice in Palestine, which is on over 100 American ca campuses, is completely pushed off. There is freedom of speech. There is not freedom of hate. It is now revealed that SJP is only about hate and barbarism, and you must participate in pushing it out. Right. That must be countered. It absolutely must be countered with voices that will speak truth and not be intimidated. Rabbi, we're out of time. Always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us and know that we stand with the Jewish people and the Jewish nation of Israel. You know how much we appreciate you and FRC. Thank you so much. All right, Rabbi. Folks, be praying and, 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 and do speak out. And we, we cannot tolerate, because he's absolutely right, a hatred for Jews and a desire to drive them out only leads to further intolerance of faith. All right, folks, we're out of time. Until next time, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.